Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is! Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now! Because when the going gets tough... The tough get going! Who's with me? Let's go! Come on! What the f*** happened to the Delta I used to know? Where's the spirit? Where's the guts? Huh? This could be the greatest night of our lives. But you're gonna let it be the worst. Oh, we're afraid to go with you, Pluto. We might get in trouble. Well, just kiss my ass from now on! Not me! I'm not gonna take this! Warner, he's a dead man! Marmalade, dead! Niedermeyer! Dead. Pluto's right. Psychotic, but absolutely right. We gotta take these bastards. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. No, no, no. No, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. Michael Preston. Literally any time I can get away with playing the speech from Animal House, from Pluto, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic piece of uh, writing that should have won an Academy Award. It should not have, but it's just a great speech from a very iconic movie character. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. Scott Wolf. From the LA Daily News is going to join us here in a little bit. Talk about the USC Trojans. Big, big, big old matchup. Big old matchup on Friday night. He'll be here to talk about that here in a little bit. I want to go we'll go over the Nevada game a little bit uh, here at the start. I mean, there's just not... You know, what is there to say about a game that you led 35 nothing at halftime? It's just... It's, what... What do you really say about a game like that? What do you really say about a game where Luke Falk had an over 10 yards per attempt average, threw five touchdowns, no interceptions, Jamal Morrow averaged 6.6 yards a touch, two receivers over 100 yards of receiving, and you had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 different players catch a pass. I mean, I, I I expected Washington State to win the football game. I expected them to win it fairly comfortably. I did not expect them to cover 28 points. 
that Vegas was giving them. That that is just that is a very very big spread against any team, even a team like Nevada that has been struggling big time this year. But it was interesting to me that I was not at the game on Saturday. We were watching at Oktoberfest in Fremont, and the tone was set right away. Hercules Mata'afa was not on the stat sheet against Oregon State. He got on it twice in the first three plays. I mean, that that's insane. I mean, I, I, it, it is amazing to me how good... Just just how good he is at all times. And how this guy get, you know, two and a half sacks on the day. Overall as a team, nine tackles for a loss, five sacks. Nevada quarterbacks looked awful. Three interceptions from David Cornwell. Came in Curitan, played barely at all through five passes. I mean, that, that, that's exactly what this team should do. I'm, You know, you only scored 10 points in the second half. Yeah, sure. Disappointing. And I understand that. And to be perfectly honest, I had tuned out by then. Because 35 to nothing, that's thorough. And, and without bad Nevada looked in that first half, they're not coming back from that. They're just not doing that. But that's pretty much exactly what you expected WSU to do. And there's just, there's no point in talking about it, you know, a ton. There's not, there's not a ton of point going in depth on a game like that where you absolutely whooped up on a team you should absolutely whoop up on. A team that's arguably worse than Montana State is at this point. A team that we saw more athleticism from in the Montana State Bobcats, arguably again, than the Nevada Wolfpack. Nevada is a really bad football team. And, you know, yeah, maybe WSU should have put some more points on the board, but 45-7 to is a thorough enough win in my mind. And Jalen Thompson had two picks. He continues to just become an incredible safety. Continues to get better every single week. So what more is there really to say about a game where you so absolutely and thoroughly dominated your opponent for the basically the second week in a row. I mean, it just, you know, what more did we find out about them? Nothing really. <laughs> just it's that simple. It was it was a fun game to watch cuz you beat the crap out of somebody. But we didn't really find out any more about Washington State. We're going to find out a lot more this Friday. We're going to find out a lot more about WSU this coming Friday when USC comes into Pullman. First time there's been a ranked game or a game against a ranked team when WSU was also ranked since 89 against USC when that game was in September. First time that's happened in almost 30 years. I mean, that's that's incredible. That again, it's again, for a September game with two ranked teams in Pullman, last time was 89 against SC. Almost 30 years ago. And when you take it again, you know, USC has played in Pullman since the game I'm about to mention. But when you take into consideration where 
WSU was almost 10 years ago in 2008 when USC was in Pullman to now. I mean, the difference is just incredible. We talked about this a little bit as authors in our Slack chat room. Watching that 2008 game, of which there are highlights on YouTube if you so dare to go back and look. I mean, I mean, it, it, the difference is I, night and day does not do enough to describe it. There was one starter on the WSU offensive line in that game that weighed 300 pounds, and it was Kenny Alfred, and he weighed exactly 300. I mean, I, I can't even begin to describe how different this football team is now. They played him again in 2010 in Pullman. Jeffrey Solomon... Threw a touchdown pass on a wide receiver option. I do remember that from that game before they got thoroughly whooped up on. And then again in 2014, you had him in Pullman and Connor Halliday suffered a very gruesome leg injury. So USC and Pullman has not been kind since Drew Dunning's kick in 2002. But this is as big an early season game that they've played again in almost 30 years. As big a game in September that's come through Martin Stadium in a very, very long time. I I don't know if it's possible to be more amped for a football game than I am for this one. It is sold out. There's not even standing room tickets left. The place is going to be packed. It's late enough on a Friday that people can take off work early from Seattle, drive over. People from Spokane can come down. Tri-Cities can come over. And it is going to be ear-shatteringly loud in that stadium. Because you have the number 16 team in the country playing at home against a number 5 team that frankly looks at least a little vulnerable. Had a lot of trouble with Cal last weekend. We're going to talk to Scott Wolf again from the LA Daily News here in a little bit, but this is a team that, you know, yeah, they're ranked number five, but oh boy. Oh boy. Are they close to teetering on the edge a little bit? Sam Darnold's thrown a lot of picks this year. Ronald Jones sounds like he'll be back this week. Not good news if you're the Washington State defense for to have Ronald Jones back at running back. But USC's one very dependable receiver in Deontay Burnett, the former WSU commit, he may be out. And probably helping things in that regard is the fact that it is a short week. That the game is played on Friday and not on Saturday. Because maybe if the game's played on Friday, Burnett's healthy enough to go. And USC had to travel to Cal last weekend. And again, they have to get on a plane for a short week to come up to Pullman. Berkeley's not a long trip, but it is still a trip. And Clay Helton has talked about, ah, you know, I, I, the platitude of, oh, well, we sleep in our office to be dedicated. It's so played out. I, you know, I just go home and go to bed. But apparently they're taking it seriously enough that they need that time to prepare. They don't even have time to drive home. Short week. Team that showed some vulnerability against Cal. I think what you really need to do is you need to get up. You need to get up for this game. And I think WSU is up to the task of, quote-unquote, getting up to the game. 
USC is certainly superior athlete-wise. I think they're always going to be superior athlete-wise. That's just how that works. USC is always going to have the superior athletes. But, if you can catch them at the right time, on a Friday night, on a week, you know, a a back-to-back travel weeks, without maybe a completely healthy best receiver, without a running back or with a running back who's coming off an injury with a quarterback who's throwing a lot more interceptions this year with a defense that is still good, but is clearly giving up some points. They're surrendering some points. If you can do that, catch them at the right time, an upset can happen. And I, I, I still think the likely outcome of this game is that USC wins because, you know, they, they just are. Like I said, they have better athletes. They're a better football team than Washington State. But this is primed for an opportunity. Everything about this game, you are primed for an opportunity for an upset. The travel week for USC on a short week, back-to-back travel. Everything about this screams a good opportunity for an upset. So the question is whether WSU can rise to the task. Can they get up and rise to the occasion? And I legit, you know, again, it's a it's a platitude that sometimes gets used, but I legitimately think you can feed off the crowd in that case. The crowd is going to be absolutely hopping. And they can feed off of that. They can feed off of a crowd that is going to be more hyped for a game. I mean, maybe even than the than the Apple Cup last year. Stadium's certainly going to be fuller, I think. The weather is going to be ideal. That Apple Cup, arguably a bigger game last year because it gave you a chance to go to the Pac-12 championship and then beyond that, the Rose Bowl. But I had a feeling walking into that stadium that, God, they just weren't going to win that football game. And boy, did they not. (laughs) I just don't get that feeling this time. I don't get the feeling that the task ahead of them is impossible. I get the feeling that the task ahead is improbable, but I don't get the feeling that it's impossible. Because you're getting USC at the right time here. You're getting a Luke Falk who was very efficient against Nevada. The level we'd like to see him at. The rushing attack still leaving some to be desired for WSU, but you're also dealing with a WSU defense that is playing out of their minds right now. And what have we said in the past? For WSU to be successful, all that defense needs to be is average. And they're playing above average right now. They're creating turnovers. They're getting into the backfield. They have a little trouble with the running game, but you know what? This defense is it's still arguably the better unit on the football team right now. Even through four games and even through two games where WSU scored 100 points total. Still arguably the better unit right now. And at year six in Mike Leach's tenure, you think you maybe have built up enough talent, enough depth on this roster to take on teams like USC at home and beat them. 
when we looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year, five straight home games in September. It's good and it's bad. It's bad from the standpoint of, you know, fans can't, it's, it's hard to justify going to Pullman five straight weekends. I certainly had a hard time doing it. And you don't get those home games later on in the season when they may be valuable when perhaps you are in a race for a division championship. Having your last home game be in early November is not completely ideal. And having a late bye isn't either. But I think most of us thought best case scenario out of these five games was 4-1. and one. You were either going to lose to USC or Boise State. And they damn near did to Boise State. So it's a minor miracle we're at 4-0 and right now. 5-0 and would be truly something out of the wildest dreams that anybody had before the season started. USC looks weaker right now than they did at the beginning of the year. Can you jump on this opportunity? Can you jump on an opportunity to upset the Trojans when it seems like they are ripe for picking? I guess we're going to find out on Friday. Scott Wolf from the LA Daily News joins us next here on the Group Center. Podcast. We're joined now by Scott Wolf, staff writer for the Los Angeles Daily News, covering the USC Trojans. He has a very busy day ahead of him, so we're very thankful that he joined us today. A little bit of a federal investigation issue with the USC basketball team. But Scott, I want to get just your quick evaluation uh, of USC in that most recent game against Cal. I mean, very close game until, you know, late, late on that USC was finally able to put some distance between them and the Golden Bears. Just what did you see that uh, you think USC fans liked and didn't like in that game? Well, I'm sure they didn't like the first half because yeah. it was tied. Yeah. And they didn't like how close the game was. And they didn't like the fact that they didn't run the ball real well. And mm-hmm. they didn't like that Sam Darnold, you know, threw an interception. But uh, I'm sure uh, that what they liked was the way they pulled away in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and the four interceptions by the secondary. And, uh, you know, they, they still haven't played a complete game, and I think the, the fans are a little worried about that. But they're 4-0, and, you know, they got a big game this week. But they're, they're not playing the way they were supposed to or were expected to play before the season. So. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's wondering, are they going to do it this week, or is it going to be another struggle? Is that, that's, because that's, I noticed going back in all their games, even the one against Western Michigan, it was until late on that they really pulled away, and then obviously the game against Texas uh, went into a couple of overtime periods. That's been their biggest, what do you think is causing that bugaboo that they're just not able to kind of 
put teams away, so to speak, uh, or at least earlier on in the game than the fourth quarter or after regulation ends? Well, they're not getting good uh, wide receiver play other than Deontay Burnett. They're very inconsistent. The offensive line, other than the Stanford game, has been, I think, below par. Um, The secondary's been shaky, even though I said they had four interceptions. They also have moments where they don't look so hot. Mm -hmm. Um, The D-line, you know, had a rough game against Western Michigan and came back and did better against Stanford, but um, you know, Texas was able to move the ball in the second half with a true freshman quarterback. So, um, generally, I just think they've they've not been to the level that everyone projected coming out of the Rose Bowl and all mm-hmm. the talk. You know, for eight months was national championship and Heisman Trophy for Darnold and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. that means if you don't play, you know, dominating football, people ask questions and. I think right now, you know, there's a lot of questions about just how good is this team. I want to talk about uh, Sam Darnold, in fact, a little bit. Uh, you know, mentioned in the Heisman Trophy race a lot before the season, even still a little bit now. Looking at his numbers, his yards per attempt, his completion percentage, pretty similar to last season, but his touchdown-to-interception ratio, obviously not very good at all right now. Nine touchdowns to seven interceptions, if I'm remembering correctly. What's been his biggest problem so far this year? Because he's obviously completing the same amount of passes roughly, about the same per attempt, but a lot of them are going to the people in the wrong colored jersey. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you look at the drive to tie Tech, the Texas game at the end and the way he played in the overtime and, you know, the Stanford game he kind of took over. So I think he's still making the great plays. I think the big problem is the receivers are very average. Mm -hmm. The line is not giving him great protection at times. And then I think that forces him to uh, make some passes that he might not normally make, and he thinks he has to make a play because he's under pressure. So he's doing a little more than he did last year. I think that's where the interceptions are coming in. And Mm -hmm. also I think it hurts that uh, they aren't really moving him around on the field like they did last year or as much. So he's a lot more dangerous when he's moving Mm -hmm. and – for some reason, I think they're trying to keep him in the pocket more this year. I want to talk about uh, Ronald Jones and Deontay Burnett a little bit. You mentioned Burnett, kind of their only consistent receiver so far this season. And I saw earlier this week he reported that he was dealing with an injury. Ronald Jones didn't play against Cal. He's also dealing with an injury. Do we know their status going into this game against uh, WSU and Pullman on Friday? Well, Ronald Jones did practice yesterday and says he's going to play. Um, so I would suspect he'll play. He's you know had a sprained ankle. But he's a pretty uh, strong guy, so mm-hmm. I would expect him back. I'm not so sure about Burnett. Uh, they say it's a shoulder. I've heard it might be a separated shoulder. I know he had his arm in a sling on Sunday. He didn't practice yesterday. So I think uh, they say he's day-to-day, but I, I think this is going to go till Friday before they really mm-hmm. announce. And if they don't have him... That's a big, big loss because he's their by far their best receiver and probably the only guy that Darnold trusts. Well, you may, so you mentioned Darnold only really trusting him, and I think you know obviously WSU fans know the weapons WSU or uh, USC has rather in Darnold and Ronald Jones, and if Ronald Jones is going to be back, that's a problem for the WSU defense. You mentioned the other wide receivers are kind of average, but is there anybody else on the offense that uh, WSU fans should look out for in terms of? 
maybe a guy who can break a big play or just someone to give the WSU defense fits? Yeah, I mean, I'm criticizing the receivers, but they're still a very explosive offense. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I would worry about is Stephen Carr, a freshman tailback, who uh, is dangerous catching the ball or running the ball. So he's probably their most – I think he's more explosive than Ronald Jones, and he's probably their second-best uh, receiver other than Burnett. So he's a guy that if uh, they're not watching coming out of the backfield or they give him the whole – you know, on a carry, could be gone. So, mm-hmm. Washington State, you know, they can't, I don't think they can play defense like they did in, say, the Boise State game uh, against a team like USC because Carr is capable of explosive play. We'll move on to the USC defense now. Uh, a guy in Cameron Smith is the team's leading tackler. Just watching tape on him, the dude is just an impressive freakishly good athlete you know he just is the leader of this defense how worried does WSU off WSU's offensive line need to be because they have not been very good this season and a guy in Cameron Smith who can put a lot of pressure on the quarterback just give us an idea of how good of a player he is Uh, I think he's a very solid linebacker and you know doesn't make mistakes and kind of is always where he's supposed to be um, frankly, the guy that I think they really need to worry about is Uchenna and Wosu. Mm-hmm. He's got 20, 22 quarterback hurries in four games. He intercepted a pass in the last game. He's been their most dominant uh, defensive lineman and probably their most dominant player on defense. So he's coming off the edge. So I, I don't know how good the tackles are at Washington State, but they're going to have a tough job this uh, Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm again, mentioned we're worried about the offensive line a little bit. Christian Rector, Josh Fatu up up front. This defensive line, have they been a strength so far this year for USC? Because, again, that's a that's a big worry if you're a WSU fan. You know, USC is obviously number five for a reason, uh, but this offensive line has not done a good job in run protection, and Luke Falk has a tendency to hold on to the ball for a little while. Well, and Uso's, you know, the big key there, the, mm-hmm. maybe the good news – for Washington State is Porter Gustin is probably not going to play the other defensive end mm-hmm. so they haven't been dominating uh, on that side since he left uh, he got hurt a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. so he played a ha- only a half against Texas so really you know if I was them I would try to double team and Wosu and and let Connor Murphy or you know whoever they rotate at that spot uh, have single uh, man on them and mm-hmm. then just try to deal with it but you know uh, you don't want to hold the ball too long against them and I, mm-hmm. I know in the past Washington State's been good at quick release plays so I would really if I was them focus on that is there any concern from players or coaches about a short week after you know you went on the road to Berkeley it's not a long trip but it is still a trip and then having to go short week to Pullman. I know I think you mentioned uh, today that Clay Helton, some of the coaches are sleeping in their office to make sure they get ready for WSU in time. So it seems like there's at least a little concern about the short week after traveling to Cal, right? Definitely. I mean, back-to-back road trips and then a six-day break uh, between games. This has kind of been circled on their schedule since uh, preseason. So... They've always kind of worried, I think, about these two games, and now they're a little banged up. So they, their depth isn't bad, but they just haven't played a lot of the reserves, so they don't mm-hmm. know if they can depend on some guys. So, 
Yeah, this has, I think, been the game that they've always worried about from uh, the summer. Give me a prediction uh, just early in the week. I know, you know, we're still dealing with injury status of a lot of guys, but if you had to take the teams for, you know, what you know of USC status injury-wise with Burnett, Ronald Jones right now, and WSU, if you had to kind of take all that into consideration, what would you see the final score being on uh, Friday night? Uh, I see a high-scoring game because I think Washington State can move the ball and put points on the board against USC's defense. Mm-hmm. Um the concern I would have about Washington State is I don't know if their defense can stop USC, mm-hmm. especially because USC is balanced on offense. They like to run and they like to pass, and they have Darnold. So I think you, you know, if I'm Washington State, I'm hoping for a, a key stop here or there that'll just give them enough defense to where they can pull out like a 45-42 win. Mm-hmm. Scott Wolf, staff writer for the LA Daily News. You can follow him on Twitter at InsideUSC. He does a great job covering the Trojans, and I'm getting every little bit of information I need from him this week ahead of the game on Friday. Scott, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Kook Center Hour. Thanks again to Scott Wolf for joining us for that insight to USC. Again, at Inside USC on Twitter if you want to follow him there. And he's a writer for the LA Daily News. Been keeping up with him all week to uh, get the inner workings on the Trojans. So do do that uh, ahead of Friday's game. A uh, little news. A little news. Uh, part of the reason why we mentioned uh, Scott was a little busy today and why we were so thankful for him joining us uh, was a little federal investigation issue uh, that included a w or a USC assistant basketball coach, Tony Bland, being arrested on federal charges of bribery conspiracy, solicitation of bribes, honest services fraud conspiracy, honest service fraud conspiracy to commit wire fraud and travel act conspiracy. And he wasn't the only coach. Auburn's Chuck Pearson, Oklahoma State's Lamont Evans, Emmanuel Richardson at Arizona, all charged in an FBI probe into, as ESPN stories put it, focused on coaches being paid tens of thousands of dollars to steer NBA-bound players towards sports agents, financial advisors, and apparel companies. An elaborate undercover operation that started in 2015 and the NCAA only found out about it Tuesday morning. My God. Reading the story on this and looking into it and reading more about it. It's kind of, you know, one of those things that we all suspected the seedy underbelly of college athletics especially basketball with the rise of the AAU circuit to be for a long time money be trading hands there's just so many people involved and so much cash involved and 
you know, so many, so many areas where the possibility of money being transferred uh, is so easy to keep quiet. And frankly, the NCAA does not have the investigate and you know the investigation capabilities that the Federal Bureau of Investigation have. For cripe's sake, it's in their name, but they are also the FBI. And I, I, I am shocked, but also not, if that makes sense. I'm shocked that it took the FBI to do this. I'm shocked that the FBI would look into this. Although I guess maybe thinking more about it, I shouldn't be. My thoughts are still kind of swirling on it. But it's not really a huge surprise, is it? It's not really a huge surprise. Further down in the ESPN story. In other cases, high-ranking Adidas employees worked with others to pay prospective student-athletes' families to ensure the players signed with an Adidas-sponsored school and then signed with Adidas once he turned pro, the complaint alleges. The FBI also used wiretap surveillance video and cooperating witnesses. They were able to document coaches accepting bribes to steer their players towards certain financial advisors and or business managers. And the FBI said Tuesday their investigation is ongoing. I mean, this I it it's something that I am surprised by the scope of it, but at the same time not surprised by the scope of it, if that makes sense. Kind of kind of finally, finally finishing my thoughts on this. I kind of like to have my thoughts organically here. It's shocking, but it's not. When I read about it. This morning and this afternoon and right before this and even currently here as we record this. There is so much money involved in college athletics. So much money involved in it. And this is part of the problem when you have a system where the people who create the product that makes all that money are not paid directly. That is part of this problem. You didn't have this problem in the 50s, 60s, hell, even 70s and 80s because they're just the TV money and the sponsor money. It just wasn't there. Hell, even the money these guys made professionally that these financial advisors would be so interested in, agents would be so interested in, apparel companies would be so interested in, it wasn't there. But sports is such huge money professionally now that, and, and even collegiately, it's such huge money in this country. That any system where these athletes are not paid directly, you're going to have issues like this. You're going to have coaches looking at 80 years up the river. 80, 80 years up the river. Now, they're never gonna go up, they're never gonna go away that for that long because they're gonna squawk like a canary, they're gonna cut a plea deal. But there's at least a distinct chance that some of these coaches serve jail time. In a federal, for federal charges. This is absolutely insane. I just, it's. Again, we all knew this was going on in the background. We all knew that because it was so unchecked and because there was nothing the NCAA could, could could do about it, that it was just going unchecked. The NCAA does not have subpoena power. 
They don't have the ability to do what the FBI does. Go get wiretaps. They can't use surveillance video. Or they can't, you know, can't install it on their own. They can't do that. They can't conduct an undercover operation like the FBI can. And so maybe that was the only way we were truly going to find out about what we all kind of had a feeling was going on anyway. But the scope of it is still just absolutely bafflingly huge. This is going to be a problem with NCAA athletics under this model. Just permanently. And I I understand, trust me, I, I really do understand that if the NCAA doesn't have this model of quote-unquote amateur athletics and it essentially becomes a minor farm league for the professional ranks that a lot of the interest goes away because I know a lot of my interest would go away. I I admit that. But there's a reason why this system doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And it's because crap like this is going to happen. Illegal, shady stuff is going to happen around these athletes because they can't be paid directly. So family members have to be given money to make sure they go to the right agents to sign with the right apparel company. Coaches have to get money. Coaches have to steer them in that direction so they can make money. When everybody in this case is making money except for the student-athlete. There is so much money in college athletics. The NCAA tournament is damn near a billion-dollar enterprise for the NCAA. The TV rights with that, the TV rights with the college football playoff, the TV rights for the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12. In the billions of dollars on decade-long contracts. The amount of money being thrown around is asinine. And it would not surprise me for more to be found out. Or for a lot more to be found out in this FBI investigation. About the only solace I can take in it is I'm pretty sure WSU is guilty of nothing. Because we've been so freaking bad for so long. And I would at least hope that when you cheat you're going to be good. That WSU is probably not involved in any of this. This investigation anyway. There's a lot of money in this sport. In basketball and football. That again. I'm surprised by the amount. But not surprised that it happened. And it took the Federal Bureau of Investigation. To finally figure it out. Because the NCAA is so weak. When it comes to investigating this stuff. Maybe not because they want to be. But because they don't have the power that the FBI does. To surveil, to get wiretaps, etc. The NCAA is so limp when it comes to investigating this kind of stuff that it had to come from the feds. 80 years in prison if convicted on every charge is the maximum sentence for those coaches. 80 years. Again, they won't be convicted. They'll cut plea deals. That's how these things work. And I guarantee you, whoever's associated with these coaches that wasn't named today by the FBI, whoever's talked to these coaches about similar things being done, you better get a lawyer now. 
because the train is coming down the tracks for you. And it's going to be, you're going to get hit and it's going to be brutal. Really brutal. Ask Michael anything. Dunderhead of the week coming up next. Woo! FBI, man. Dang. Head of the week time. I, uh, I, I, I don't ever wade in anything political on this show, and I, you know, try to keep it, you know, as out of uh, as out of our show as possible. Um, but the city of Seattle has, has a, a bike sharing program where people are just, you know, the, these bikes that are just left on sidewalks, and you can use them anytime you want. You know, you get a little app on your phone to use it and whatever, and it's. It's a nice idea, but it just leaves these bikes scattered all over the city, just kind of wherever. And it's not exactly pleasing to the eye. And I, in fact, found one in the median between the street and my house the other day. And again, I'm not exactly thrilled with it. Um, but it, it led to my dunderhead of the week. And, you know, I don't really have a formed opinion on whether these things are good or bad. I just think they're kind of ugly. Um, if you're going to use one of them and you're going to, like, ride around on it and try to do sick tricks or something... Can you please not do it at a crosswalk? Please. Because if you're going to do it on the sidewalk like this guy was doing, and coming up to the crosswalk while he's popping a wheelie and then stopping and turning around, causing the car in front of me to slam on their brakes, and then me to slam on my brakes, and then the person behind me to almost hit me. And then as I go up the ramp onto the viaduct, I watch you do it again, and another person slams on their brakes to stop. If you want to do that... Don't do it at a crosswalk. Hell, don't do it anywhere near a street where there are cars. So, you know, a street. Take it to a park. Take it to a parking lot that is empty. Literally anything other than almost causing an accident because you can't decide whether you want to do tricks on your stupid little bike share on the sidewalk or in a crosswalk. Man alive. Especially at 1.15 in the morning when I'm going home from work. Like, that's... Like, nothing else to do at 1.15 in the morning than do sick tricks on a bike share bike and cause me to almost get into an accident with the car in front of me. Yeesh. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. Ask me anything. My wife participating at Sammy Joe Coog on Twitter. Why do the plumbing gods hate us and our house? 
I won't say what the issue is, y'all, but don't buy an old house if you don't want to have plumbing problems. We'll put it that way. <laughs> it's just good piece of advice there. Just not a good idea. At J Truckstick, Heroes in Sports or Cougar Country. You know, I've honestly never been to Heroes in Sports. I'll be honest. I think I'm gonna fix that this weekend because we're, you know, it's two night hotel minimum, so probably gonna stay till Sunday morning in Pullman, regardless, just to have a day in town. So I think I'm gonna fix that on Saturday. I'm gonna go to Heroes and Sports for lunch. It sounds like a good idea. At Jeremy Feegan, why no Moro nickname? Jamal Moro never dies. Jamal Port of Moro. Moro? Is it Moro? Moro or Moro? I don't know. Because maybe he likes the shins. There's your head start. I don't know why Jamal doesn't have a nickname. And Gerard Wicks doesn't really have a nickname, I don't think. He's not like the Wrecking Ball or anything. Boris Martin doesn't have a nickname. River Craycraft didn't really. Yeah, it's just weird. At WSU Brady 27, I like Jamal Morrow Never Dies, though, if that's how you pronounce it. I don't know if it's Morrow or Mar Morrow. Mar Blah, whatever. <laughs> Coach Manning videos are a national treasure. Would there be a better way to kick off the game than a pregame hype video by Coach Roy Manning? That's from WSU Brady 27. That's actually a great idea. I love that idea. Just Roy Manning screaming into his phone for a pregame hype video. That would get me hyped. I think more than... I love the We Always Find Our Way Back Home video just because, you know, heartstrings and whatnot, but that would get me screaming and yelling. At, at V Whitney 50, Victor Whitney, with a Washington State win, does Falk move ahead in the Heisman race? Or does the USC title still mean more to voters? That's one of his questions. His other one, does the Washington State victory actually move us ahead in the polls? Yeah, it does. I mean, no matter what, they're going to jump ahead in the polls if they beat USC. And the other thing with the Heisman, no leech quarterback has ever really come close. I think Graham Harrell was the closest, and he was like fifth or sixth if memory serves in his senior season. So there's just kind of an inherent bias against leech quarterbacks. It would be interesting to see if Falk does get in the discussion, though, with a good game this Saturday. At West Coast Bias 11, cheesy or garlic bread? Cheesy, always. At Brett underscore Gleason, will 280 characters on Twitter help us convince high school recruits to come to WSU? Yes or definitely yes. I mean, the more I have to talk to them and be creepy in their mentions, uh, I think the better. I think it's really better that way, that we can be even more creepy with it. You know, I have to set, spend less tweets being creepy. Yeah, that's a good idea. Really good. At Brandon Quinn, 025, Brandon Quinn, what uniforms do you want to see against USC? Is it wrong to hope for the IC Whites? No, I'd love to see them. But that little banner they send out with their game week thing, the helmet on it every week on Twitter has matched their uniform. And this week it was the crimson helmet with the crimson or the uh, gray helmet with the crimson face mask. So at CCUG8606, what do we need to bribe at Nike? Who do we need to bribe at Nike? be able to buy wider anthracite WSU jerseys we can't have them and that just makes me mucho sad um I think Nike might have a little bit of a different bribery problem like we just talked about here a little, little bribery issue but yeah that, I keep seeing this question and it's yeah your odds of CML taking a new job next year 2017 squad is senior heavy that's from at WSU Cougar 08 no he's dude's comfy he's not going anywhere I I would really not expect that. And at Richard Lutz, if you could ask Coach Leach any questions, what would it be? And yeah, maybe we'll get him on the podcast and find out. I still got some hope for that. We'll join you on Friday for the members members only. <laughs> Subscribers only podcast. Members only better jacket on the Coop Center. Hour.